Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church. You can find more great content like this online at citylight.church. So we are in our series in Acts, Unstoppable, How God Uses the Church to Change the World. Man, I love that title slash subtitle. Really good because not only are we seeing it here in Acts, and if you've been around for the, the first, we're into chapter four today, if you've been around for the first three and a little bit chapters, uh, thus far, you will have seen already how God started with his church, just 120 women and men, um, put in 12 leaders, his apostles. The Holy Spirit comes and they are really radically transformed, really. They already had faith in Jesus. They're already, they're already living in light of the resurrection and the resurrection to come. That in itself like phenomenally powerful, but then also uh, to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit and, and filled really with the power of the Spirit, proclaiming the name of Jesus and the gospel of Jesus and seeing 3,000 people added to their number uh, in, a, in a matter of only a couple of days, really. This, this whole process has taken place. Phenomenal. Then, like we saw last week, Peter and John go to pray uh, in the temple where they were gathering because they were, they're still in Jerusalem, still Jewish people going about their business. Uh, really what they have seen is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets in Jesus. And so they were still doing the same kinds of things that they were doing before, but now rightly worshipping Jesus as God, as God the Son, the second member of the, the Trinity. And so um, they, they go up and they see a poor man and... He asks them for some arms or for some money, for some stuff. Help me just to get through the day. And Peter says, well, we don't have that, but what we do have, we're going to give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he does. And like the song goes, if you grew up in Sunday school, he went walking and leaping and praising God. And uh, all of the people were amazed. He was 40 years old, this bloke. Not, not a young bloke, not new to Jerusalem. He'd been around for a very long time, for 40 years. Uh, they all knew him as the guy, the, the beggar, the leper at Gate Beautiful. And then all of a sudden, he is dancing around. This is not a guy who was trying to scam money. Not a guy who you'd see him on the, on the corner asking for money for a bus fare, and then you see him buying some alcohol later on, or those kinds of things. They knew who this guy was, well known to everybody. And then, boom, all of a sudden, up running around, and Peter, again, proclaiming the name of Jesus. His third sermon, the same sermon. The same stinking sermon. Repent and belief. You crucified Jesus. You turned against him. Uh, many of you saw him raised from the dead. And, and if not, we're here to bear witness that he has. And it's in his name that this man, who you know, is up walking around and running around. And then another 2,000 people find faith in Jesus. Phenomenal. And we saw at the end of last week, um, the authorities weren't particularly happy with what was going on. Because now 5,000 people in Jerusalem believe in Jesus. That's a, that's, that is a gargantuan number of people. If there were, if there were no Christians even in a city even the size of Adelaide, over a million people, and all of a sudden, within a month or so, 5,000 people in, in like the, public, the most public of, of squares and circumstances became Christians, that would have a ripple effect throughout the whole city, let alone in a city the size of Jerusalem back 2,000 years ago. And so uh, they get into pretty big trouble. <clears throat> they get thrown in jail. And where we're picking it up today, they've been in jail for a night already. Now, 
as I look around the room, I see a couple of, well, likely-looking characters. I'm just going to assume that many of you have been in trouble before. Maybe not in, to this degree, maybe not with the authorities, but maybe like me when I was a kid, uh, my brother and I would take the brooms off of the handles, we'd have like, you know, samurai fights in the backyard, and invariably somebody would get hurt, and it was almost always my brother. And there's just that moment when, you know, it's all fun, yay, 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 and then whoops, you accidentally, I'd accidentally like whack him across the face or in the arm, and I knew he was hurt straight away. And immediately there's the sense of, oh my goodness, like this is terrible. Or I don't know if you've been in a situation where you're just driving along, minding your own business, and in the, in the rear vision mirror you see, woo, and hear this and you're thinking, oh my goodness, just the, like the pit of your stomach. Or maybe none of those things mean anything to you. Maybe just when you were a student at school, Maybe you weren't paying attention and the, student call, and the teacher calls you a name and asks you for your opinion or your answer and you're like, oh, I don't even know what the question was. <laughs> and you're just like, oh my goodness, like, I'm in trouble. I don't know what's going on. Uh, one time, um, my wife and I, when we were first trying to have kids, uh, we, stru- we struggled to not get pregnant but stay pregnant. And so getting pregnant didn't seem to be the problem. Staying pregnant was the problem. Uh, we had a, uh, our first kid, Isaiah, after we actually stopped counting the miscarriages. And then all of a sudden, Isaiah comes along, amazing, like beautiful kid. Um, we, we tried we, all, all kinds of different um, like medical interactions. We didn't uh, have to get to the IVF stage, but basically everything before then. And then uh, we didn't even have to try, and suddenly we're pregnant with our second kid, who's now Harvey, who's four years old, and he's just a man speaking of likely characters. But at one stage, <laughs> at one stage, we go to uh, have an ultrasound, and the person, you know, the person doing the ultrasound says, oh, my goodness, uh, I, see, I see the sack, but I see no baby. So this is just, it's not a viable pregnancy. It's not going to happen. And just the... You know, I'm, I'm like, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, we're in trouble because we were so joyful at what had just, like at the news we were living in, and then all of a sudden, like, boom. And, and in that moment, at least, my wife and I were like, you know what? We're actually, we're going to choose to believe that uh, they're either wrong or that God can do a miracle. And so we, we just prayed super hard uh, for a week and went back a week later and, you know, we hop on the... Well, we, Beck, uh, hops on the table and like, ah, oh, I don't know what they were talking about. Here's a perfectly healthy, viable little baby. And we're like, that's amazing. More recently, um, <clears throat> uh, in a not similar situation, and um, I mean, actually, let me tell you, let me give you a bit of context. Uh, with our church, we had this amazing opportunity in Port Adelaide, with our Port Adelaide plant, to lease this property which we've now turned into our church facilities up there. Uh, we hope to open a one again there. We've got a, uh, an office space there for counselling and our Christians Against Poverty Debt Relief Centre and all kinds of stuff. Um, they've just moved in last week and um, it looks like being in a really fun... It's, it's right in the heart of Port Adelaide. Like, we could not have picked a better place, really. Uh, it's, it, we've called that church Anchor Church and it shares a wall with the Anchor Pub. So it's just this, like, amazingly located... It's on Church Lane, and Anchor Pub, it's just the most perfect kind of situation. And uh, we put the, put the kind of call out there a little while ago to the whole family of churches and said, hey, we need 20 grand, otherwise you can't make that happen. And generously, people came to the party and said, we, 
We want to see this happen. We think it's going to be great. Actually, every day that Jake, the lead pastor, there, every day he's been there on premises, he's had multiple people walk past and ask him for help, um, spiritual help, emotional help, material help. And so just it's already, in the first couple of weeks, been this amazing, we haven't opened up that one again shop there to kind of draw people in. And already the gospel's at work, already God is using that thing, uh, which has been really, really fantastic. <clears throat> Except what we didn't know was we had to put in uh, a $16,000 bond uh, to secure the place, which basically sucked all of the cash that the church had out of the thing. And I got a call from our, um, our administrator, uh, like administrative director, and she says, I don't think we have enough money to like, pay people this week. And my first thought was, oh my goodness, uh, what, what am I going to do? Okay, this is what I'm going to do. Uh, let me think about how uh, I can go out and either try to make more money, or how can we do this or do that. And then uh, it was only a little bit later, in fact, credit to my wife, she said to me, uh, I think you've like, skipped a whole step here. Where you, you're like, okay, we're in you know, not so much trouble because God always, always, always comes through. Uh, but you skipped a step. Like you didn't actually go to God and see what he had to say about this thing. And she's like, we always do that. Why wouldn't you do that here? Here, we see people who are in trouble. At, up till now, the church had not really suffered any, any real or significant persecution. We'll see over the coming chapters... Uh, it, gets, it gets really dire, actually, for this early church, this, this fledgling church. Um, this is, nobody's martyred yet. Nobody's died yet. They spent one night in prison. That's the extent of it. And really, this is, this is more of a caution for them. This is, this is more of a, well, we need to get these guys out of the public square. Stop, we've got to get them to stop preaching Jesus until we can decide what the heck we're going to do with them. They are in trouble. 5,000 people making noise. And everybody else knowing what had happened with this guy. Everybody else. And do you think that they are freaking out, Peter and James? Peter and John, sorry. Think they're freaking out? They're not freaking out. They're in trouble. In fact, Jesus had prepared them for this. Back in Luke 8, Luke, who wrote this book we're reading now, Acts, also wrote in Luke 8 where Jesus tells them, when you get into trouble like this, when you get into trouble like this, and you pull before the authorities, don't worry about what you're going to say because the Holy Spirit will let you know what to say. And so they're, they're prepared. They're filled with the Spirit. They know what's going on. Uh, at one stage, these authorities say, it's an obvious sign, evident to all, has been done through them. And as we're about to read in, in this chapter, uh, this guy who, they have, who we met last week, who used to be the lame man at Gate Beautiful, at the trial of Peter and John, the lame, formerly lame man is actually standing there right next to them. So imagine this like courtroom scene with Peter and John basically on trial. They're there to give an account as to what the heck just happened. Everybody's talking about it and the authorities don't like it. And not only is it evident to everybody outside the courtroom, but here in front of them is the guy who went walking and leaping and praising God. This is the scene. This is where we're at. The authorities demand an answer. So let's see how it went down. This is from Acts 4. The next day, so they've been in jail. The next day, the rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and all the members of the high priestly family. After they had Peter and John stand before them, they asked the question, by what 
power or in what name have you done this? By what power or in on what name have you done this? Man, what an amazing question. Then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man, by what means he was healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing here before you healthy. This Jesus is the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people, and we must be saved by it. Or in your translation, it might say, there's no other name under heaven by which man can be saved, by which we can be saved. And so he says to the, Peter says to the people, filled with the Spirit, he says, so let's just be clear, what we're on trial for here is a man was lame and now he is healthy. That's what we're talking about? Is that what you're inquiring about? Because if that's what you're inquiring about, let me tell you by all means. It's in the name of Jesus the Nazarene, whom you crucified. So here he is in essentially, again, a courtroom kind of setting, standing before the same people who essentially condemned Jesus to death. And he goes back to Psalm 118 and says, you know when David prophetically wrote this? He was prophetically talking about you guys. You rejected the Messiah. You rejected God who became man. You rejected the one we've all been waiting for. He is the only, he's the only one. In his name is the only hope of salvation because of what he's done. And you guys killed him. That's pretty, um, I mean, they thought that Peter and, James, Peter and John were on trial, but Peter flipped that and, and now these guys are on trial. Verse 13. When they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realised that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognised that they had been with Jesus. And since they saw the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in response. I just love that. Acts is so full of mic drop moments. And this is, more, this is an amazing one. Like, you killed the Messiah. And they're like, what can we say? This guy was lame. We have all seen him. Probably, probably all have assisted him in some way or given him some money at some stage of the last 40 years. They knew his family. He was a well-known guy. And then all of a sudden, here he is standing right in front of them as Peter is charging them with their crime and saying, no, no, it's, it's, it's Jesus that we're proclaiming here. And in response, they have nothing to say. Verse 15. After they had ordered them to leave the Sanhedrin, they conferred among themselves, saying, What should we do with these men? For an obvious sign, evident to all who live in Jerusalem, has been done through them, and we cannot deny it. However, so this doesn't spread any further among the people. Let's threaten them against speaking to anyone in this name again. So <clears throat> they called for them and ordered them not to preach or tell at all, or teach at all, in the name of Jesus. They're afraid that because of the clearly evident power in the name of Jesus that they will lose their own power over their people. They're worried because they don't have faith in Jesus. And yet so many 
suddenly have this saving faith. So many have repented of their former ways and received eternal life. And so they order these men, we don't want anyone else to become a Christian, so you can go about your ways. They don't even care that, like they weren't disappointed that the guy who was formerly crippled is now no longer crippled. They, didn't, they, were, they were actually amazed at that. They're like, this is a phenomenal thing. But so that we don't lose the people, we're going to order them or threaten them. Stop teaching about Jesus. And I love this response. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. So say, should we listen to you or to God? It's a rhetorical question, actually. Do you think we're going to listen to you or do you think we're going to listen to God? For we are, we are unable to stop speaking about what we've seen and heard. I love this line. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. After threatening them further, they released them. <laughs> uh, they found no way to punish them because the people were all giving glory to God over what had been done. For this sign of healing had been performed by a man on a man over 40 years old. So, I mean, that's the intro. I'm keen to pray, and then we'll see how this might speak to us today. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, these words. Thank you for your scriptures. Thank you for this, this, um, this story, this happening uh, that was recorded and that we can learn from it, that you're speaking to us in your scriptures and by our spirit today. Help us to have understanding. In Jesus' holy name we ask. Amen. <clears throat> so what are, the, what are some of the keys here? Why... I mean, this is in the Bible, obviously, to show us, like we've already seen a couple of chapters ago, that power was on the apostles specifically, so the Holy Spirit on all of the believers, and in particular, the Holy Spirit was doing specific things through the apostles to show their authority, to show that they were uh, specifically chosen to lead his church. And yet here we see Peter is filled with the Spirit. So you might ask, didn't he already have the Spirit? I thought he already had the Spirit. In fact, he must have already had the Spirit even to profess belief in Jesus. And then we have this instance of Pentecost where he is filled with the Spirit, and as of the other disciples. And then so he's already filled with the Spirit, and then how come suddenly he's being filled with the Spirit again? Doesn't he already have the Spirit? And yes, he did already have the Spirit. Like all believers, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, uh, lives in, in all of us, in temples not, you know, built not by human hands, but, but in you and me. And yet, there's a particular something going on here in addition to his already indwelt status. It's like when you get opportunities. Like, like Jesus tells his disciples, when he called before the authorities, don't prepare uh, specifically, I think he's talking to them in this situation, this circumstance. They're prepared because the Holy Spirit's going to tell you. And in this moment, although they were already filled with the Spirit, although they were already indwelt by the Spirit, there is a particular filling here for a particular purpose, to do something, to, to carry out something. And then he goes on and he clears up what he's on trial for. It's not what has happened that they're on trial for. It's the means by which it happened. There are, they want to know about the means they don't even want to know how did you do this so that we can do this. They haven't seen, well, he was, he was unable and now he is able. He was destitute and now he is a potential like flourishing member of 
our culture and society. They didn't want to know so that they could go and do it. We will see things like that throughout Acts. What they want to know is, whose name are you preaching? Whose authority are you proclaiming? That's, that's their big thing. Whose name is it? They don't care about the outcome. They care about the means. And Peter, again, he answers them. He says, let it be known to you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man, is standing before you healthy. There's a lot in here which would have been very controversial to his hearers. Firstly, Jesus, mentioning Jesus, there would have been a lot of murmurs about Jesus. Firstly, lots of people saying, hey, you know Jesus who was dead and now, he, now he's alive. That would have been pretty controversial. And yet here they are proclaiming the same man, Jesus, who these people in this very room condemned to death. Controversy. Uh, just the fact that they were proclaiming that somebody, anybody came back from the dead. Controversy. And the fact that it's in, the, in this man's name that this other man is well, that would have been controversial too. So it's just like cascade of controversy. Cascade of, for these people that would be hearing this going, man, this, it would just be getting more and more outrageous. In fact, the next time you see a similar situation like this, the hearers actually like cover their ears and start like murmuring loudly so they stop hearing it. They do not want to hear the gospel. They don't have open ears for the gospel. And yet he says, there is no other name by which one can be saved. There's no other name. And there's a big cost here. They've already been in jail for a, for a night. They don't know what's going to happen. They don't, they're sent away and these rulers and elders and authorities are deliberating about what they're going to do. Anything could happen. I mean, they already killed Jesus. That was only like maybe two months earlier. They already killed Jesus. Uh, who knows what's going to happen to these people? But, like they've already said, we can't stop proclaiming the name of Jesus. Not with what we've seen, not with what we've experienced, not with what we know. They don't want these Christians to keep doing good works in the name of Jesus. They want them to shut up. I've got to tell you, this is, uh, in some areas of our culture, a, a prevailing idea that Christians, you guys, by all means, go and serve the poor. By all means, start hospitals and like outreach agencies and, and counselling. Uh, absolutely, like provide aid to people who are in need. By all means, like uh, volunteer your time to help the elderly and the, and the poor and the orphan and the sick and the widows, the single mum. Like, go for it. Do those good works. But don't proclaim the name of Jesus. Even people would say, like, we're happy to help you. We'll, we'll, we'll help you. We're, like, you're doing such a good job, Christians. How about we give you some money? Or even the government says, you're doing such a good job. How about we give you money, but we'll give you money if you don't proclaim the name of Jesus. We'll think well of you if you don't proclaim the name of Jesus. Don't say anything that's controversial. Don't say anything that's against our way of thinking. Don't say anything that might take people out from under our authority and under another authority, under Jesus' authority. I'll put it to you, this is uh, increasingly the culture we're in today. But even, we just heard about it uh, with uh, Green Team. People at Green Team are like, as long as you're looking after people, that's amazing, like, that's fantastic. See the difference you've made in people's lives. What a wonder. But those same people back in our, back in just regular life, if you're proclaiming the name of Jesus, like, it's met with antagonism 
uh, at best, in the public square I'm talking about, not in one-on-ones, in the public square where they are. So they let them go. They say, don't preach Jesus anymore. And this is the hard part. They threatened them multiple times. And over the course of the next few chapters, we'll see those threats carried out. And then throughout the rest of the history of the Christian church up to today, and still today in many parts of the world, even like right now, uh, these same threats are being made and carried through. Something, man, something was, something was risky about what they were doing, about preaching Jesus. Could have ended much worse than just a night in prison and soon would end much worse for the disciples. In fact, for both of these guys, Peter and John, if you keep reading through the stories and read through church history, you'll see uh, both of them had, from a physical perspective at least, pretty horrific final days. Obviously, we, we have this eternal perspective. We know that wasn't the end. So that wasn't the end of them. Uh, but certainly from like a physical perspective, from a, an earthly perspective, man, there's, there's much at stake. But what, how do they answer this? And they're not just answering these authorities. Uh, they're, just, they're, they're giving the answer to life, really, to any authority that would come against the authority of Jesus. And they say, whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. Man, this perspective, I think there's a difficult perspective to have. What they're saying is, uh, it's not just like, it's not just a, a melting pot of competing ideas and let's discern which idea is the most favourable or the best ideas. This is two guys under guard, surrounded by authorities that could have them killed. Uh, there is a significant like, power discrepancy here, okay? Uh, they could do whatever they want with these men, and they have done whatever they want with other men, and they will do whatever they want with similar men and women. Something's a risk, and yet they say, uh, should we listen to you who have the authority to kill us, or should we listen to God? Jesus said something similar. He says, don't fear people who can even kill you. Killing is not the worst thing that could happen to you. Jesus says, instead, fear God. Like, have, have a reverential awe for the author of life, for the one who, um, being an enemy of God and, and having his wrath resting upon you, like John 3, 36 talks about, is a far worse predicament and standing than the, the wrath of any powerful man or woman. That's what Jesus says. And then they basically said the same thing. Should we listen to you? Should we listen to God? We're unable to stop. We can't stop. How could we stop? In light of what Jesus has done, in light of the resurrection, in light of being indwelt by the Holy Spirit, in light of the eternity to come, in light of the fact that God, God himself has put us on a mission, in light of the fact that this gospel is unstoppable, in light of the fact that God wants to use us to change the world, how could we stop? That's what they're saying. Uh, for me, this needs to be the like, cry of the church, the, the, the banner over the church today. How could we stop? Do we listen to you or do we listen to God? We to tell you, the church, obviously not this church, clearly, but the church, even in Australia or even in Adelaide, uh, seems to me there's a lot more listening to 
or fearing of people around them than to God. A more consideration of um, how am I going to get along? How am I going to minimise my suffering? In, in, in the light of the court of public opinion, how can I go unnoticed because of the potential for, um, I mean, maybe not in Australia, but certainly in the world, physical harm. And in Australia, uh, it might cost you a job or a promotion or a friendship or a relationship. It might cost you significantly in the court of public opinion. But who are we to fear? Man or God? We might, man, this has got to be our position and our posture because of what they've seen and what they've heard, because of what they've experienced, because of the Holy Spirit in them, because they're living in light of the resurrection and the resurrection to come, they can't stop. This, this must be a mark of the church. If we're going to be the church that God uses to change the world, this must be a mark of us in our families, in our neighbourhoods, in our universities, in schools, in workplaces, in our relationships, in our neighbourhoods, Certainly in our dealings in the public square, I'm not calling for being the Bible basher who doesn't try to be a cultural exegete. And by that I mean <clears throat> we want to be winsome. We want to, we want to proclaim the name of Jesus in a way that doesn't add offence to the gospel. The gospel is inherently, intrinsically offensive, as Peter and John are finding out here. It's offensive in its own right. They don't want to add offence to that. They're not saying, well, you jerks. You killed Jesus, you idiots. They're not, they're not trying to do that. They're not trying to be offensive. They're trying to, as clearly as possible, with as great a clarity as possible, proclaim the name of Jesus, which in itself is, is offensive uh, to those who are perishing, the Scripture tells us. Whether it's right on your side or not, we're unable to stop speaking about what we've seen. I mean, what is it that you are unable to stop speaking about? Have you thought about this? Have you like critically analysed your conversations? What are you passionate about? What's the thing that you just can't stop speaking about? You know, people who are, who are like this, we've identified people like, you know, crossfitters or vegans before. How do you know someone's a vegan? Don't worry, they'll tell you. That kind of stuff. Uh, if only that were true of Christians. How do you know they're a Christian? Well, someone hops off a bus, like again, green team, you must be a Christian because you're volunteering to be here in a place that sucks to be, but you clearly love me by being here. These people have they've lived out that Matthew 5, 14 to 16, uh, city sit on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. This is exactly what we see here. They've done good works, and the whole city is glorifying God. It's a different context to our context, obviously. But our goal, even in Adelaide, may not be for the whole city to do that all in one go, like, like here where they had the context for what they were expecting a Messiah. Uh, Adelaide is not expecting a Messiah. But certainly in the ones and the few's, and maybe the many's, we'd let our good works be seen before others, not so that we would be well thought of or proclaimed, but that God would receive glory. And how would they know who we represent unless we tell them? When we, we say, in whose name are we performing these good deeds? That's in Jesus' name. We can't help but proclaim his name because of, because of what we've seen and what we've heard and what we know because we have the Holy Spirit living in us. This sort of bold gospel proclaiming life um, 
ultimately, I would say, invariably, invariably brings hardship uh, and even death for these disciples who read about in Scripture. Invariably brought death uh, and significant hardship along the way for the individual disciples, but for the kingdom of God, the proclamation of Jesus has changed the world. So while the individual disciples suffered, and many of them suffered death at the end, through their proclamation of Jesus, through their good works, glory was given to God in a, like an ever-increasing kind of way until now it's, it maybe hasn't proliferated across the entire world. There are still unreached people groups for sure. Um, but it is a bold gospel-proclaiming life that God will use to change the world. We need to be those people. What do we have to be, possibly have to be ashamed of? I always thought it was a really weird thing when Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I thought, why would he even say that? That, that kind of casts it in a negative light, like, I'm not ashamed of it. It's, it's like, it's not a purely negative, so we'll just bring it back to like neutral. Uh, but in reality, like, if, if you consider or take stock of even your own life, like I do of mine, and I consider, am I that bold gospel proclaiming life in all circumstances because like, I'm compelled to by what I know and what I've experienced and by the Holy Spirit living in me? Man, I fail so often at that. But my prayer is that there be a mark of our church, a banner over our church, that we would be like this and God would use us to change the world. We need to consider the cost. What will it cost you? But also consider how is God going to use you. I mean, the two things, if you feel like homework, uh, consider and pray and meditate over those two things this week. What, what, was it, what is it going to cost you to start living this way? Okay, not the Bible bashing kind of way. Not, not, please don't be a jerk. Be winsome about it. But be clear in your proclamation of why it is that you choose to do the things you do, why it is that you believe the things you do, why it is that you live the way that you do. Consider the cost uh, in relationships, in promotion, in prestige, in social standing, and maybe, uh, who, who knows, in your lifetime, what being a Christian might cost you even in Australia. But, but weigh up the cost and weigh up who's, who you're living for, the applause of men and women or the applause of the God who actually came into your darkness and sin and flesh in order to save you from yourself. Let's pray together. Father, uh, I mean, we need you so desperately in, in this way in particular because we find it hard enough to um, just live a, a life in our current context. It's so easy uh, to fall into or to just glide into a comfortable way of life where we can just uh, get along because it's the easier thing to do, because we fear losing our comfort, because we fear leaving, losing our position, or we fear losing relationships, we fear losing prestige, or we fear even a material or physical cost. And yet this is what you've called us to. And we're people who know at least intellectually we know that even, even if we die, um, we still live because of you. But because Jesus has 
come back from the dead, a promise that we do, we will as well. Uh, we don't even have to fear death. And, and so we know this, but would you, would you help that to sink deep into our, into our being so we live in light of that fact? We wouldn't even hold our lives as dear, but just the love of Jesus and making him known in the world. We don't want to be jerks. We want to be bold. We don't want to be arrogant. We want, we want to be winsome, but we also want to be clear. Help us. Father, we know we are indwelt by your spirit, but we need to be filled with your spirit as well. And so uh, tonight I'm, I'm asking, uh, even on behalf of our, us as a church, so that you might receive glory, so that we might participate and be partners in your work in the world, so that we might be effective in our proclamation of Jesus. Fill us anew, afresh with the Holy Spirit. Help us to see those uh, opportunities you put before us, sometimes even daily, uh, to be able to proclaim the name of Jesus. And in those moments, like Peter, give us that, that filling with your Spirit so that we know what to say. Father, would you send more laborers to this church and our family of churches for the work ahead? May we see many come to know you. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church, or to donate to the work of City Light Church, visit us online at www.citylight.church.